If you have your Bibles, turn with us to the book of Mark, the gospel of Mark. We're going to close out chapter 2 and begin chapter 3. As we focus our attention on Jesus and the ritual of the Sabbath. Jesus and the ritual of the Sabbath. We're continuing in the... uh, (laughs) In this book, as we have been in the last few weeks, I know we've taken time away from it, but we're going to stay with it, though it is 4th of July. You know, a church had an unusual ritual. Every Sunday morning, before the church would sing their song or their doxology to kick off the worship, They would stand up and everyone would turn to the right and they would face a blank white wall and they would begin to sing. Every Sunday, they done this. They stood up, turned to a blank white wall and they would sing. Finally, a visitor came one Sunday and they were really confused by what the church was doing. So they asked the question, why do you do this? You'll never guess the answer because no one knew the answer. The only answer that they could come up with was, well, we've always done it. But that didn't satisfy this visitor. So they began to ask other people, why? Why is it that we... You start service, you turn to your right, and you look at a blank wall. No one really had the answer. But finally, they found an elderly man who had been a member of this church longer than anyone else. And he remembered the reason. It seems that there was a time when they didn't have hymn books. And the words of the song were written on the wall. And over time, the writing faded and the wall had been repainted time after time after time. When the, before it was painted, they would stand up, turn to their right, and they would sing the words. Now the words aren't there and they were still turning to that wall. Somehow they missed the significance of this. You know what we are? We're, we're somewhat sheepish. You know, we're, we, will, we will follow the crowd. And not only will we follow the crowd, we'll become creatures of habit. And we'll just do what we've always done without any rhyme or reason to what we're doing. Somebody say amen. That's exactly who we are. And it looks like that it wasn't just us. It wasn't just the people at this church, but even back when Jesus was here, the Pharisees seemed to miss the significance of the Sabbath. They seemed to just want to do things the way it's always been done with no one questioning or challenging what they were doing. When we look here in Mark's gospel, starting in verse 23 of chapter 2, the Bible says, Now it happened that he went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. And as they went, his disciples began to pluck the heads of the grain. And the Pharisees said to him, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But he said to them, have you not read 
what David did when he was in need and hungry. He and those with him. How they went to the house of God in the days of Abathar, the high priest, and ate the showbread, which is not lawful for, to eat except for the priest, and also gave some to those who were with him. And he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the son of man also, son of man is also Lord of the Sabbath. And he entered the synagogue again and the man was there who had a withered hand. So they watched him closely, whether he would heal him on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him. And he said to the man who had the withered hand, step forward. Then he said to them, is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or to do evil, to save life or to kill? But they kept silent. And when he had looked around at them with anger, being grieved by the hardness of their hearts, he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out and his hand was restored as whole as the other. Then the Pharisees went out and immediately plotted with the Herodians against him how they might destroy him. This is God's holy word. God, we thank you for your word. Help us, God, to take the principles of your word and apply them to our lives so that, God, we could live a life that would be an example of your son, Jesus Christ. Help us, God, to look to him in all our ways and not consider ourselves, but to consider others. Help us, God, as we proclaim your gospel, God, to, to be compassionate, to not see circumstances, but to see life that needs to be changed. Help us, God, to be your instruments in this world, and we'll praise you for all that's accomplished. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This passage helps us to see that the Pharisees are at it again. <laughs> it seems that they just can't help themselves. Have you ever been around people like that where they just can't seem to help themselves? They're frustrated with Jesus. Yet they continue to follow him. They continue to discover it wherever he's at and whatever he is doing. They, they were there when he healed the paralytic and they complained after this man was healed. They, were, they complained because Jesus said, your sins are forgiven. Here they were there when he was keeping company with sinners. It didn't matter that he was sharing the gospel with them, but he was with sinners. They were complaining. They were there when, uh, when they were there to complain about the fact that his disciples were not fasting. And now we find that they're complaining again. Jesus and his disciples, they're on their way to the synagogue. They're on their way to the house of God. <laughs> Along the way, they're walking by a grain field. And it appears that the disciples were hungry. They were hungry so that they, they plucked some grain just enough to curb their appetite. Just enough so they would ease their hunger as they headed toward the synagogue. Now keep in mind, they didn't stop to prepare a meal. I would assume, and I know it's dangerous to assume, but it would appear that they... They weren't even 
intending to get full off of what they got. Just they wanted a snack. You know, every, every once in a while, we're, in between meals, we'll get hungry and we'll just need a snack to, to curb that hunger. It appears that this could have been exactly what was taking place. And, and here these Pharisees are upset. Now, the problem wasn't that they picked grain to curb their hunger from another man's field. Now, you probably wouldn't want to do that today, but here in this time, that was permissible. In Deuteronomy 23, 24 through 25, says that when you come into your neighbor's vineyard, you may eat your fill of grapes at your pleasure. You do that today, you might get shot at somebody's grapevine. (laughs) But it says you shall not fill your container. So you curb your appetite, Curb your hunger and move on. It goes on to say, when you come to your neighbor's standing grain, you may pluck the heads of your, you may pluck the heads with your hand, but you shall not use a sickle on the neighbor's standing grain. In other words, you're not harvesting. So the problem wasn't that they picked grain. The problem was that they picked grain on the Sabbath. Working on the Sabbath was forbidden by the law of Moses. Exodus 28 through 11 tells us, remember the Sabbath day and to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. It is in it you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them and rested on the seventh day. Therefore, the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and he hallowed it. So we understand what the law said, but Jesus, he, he speaks up. He speaks up concerning his disciples picking grain on the Sabbath. Now, make no mistake, Jesus knew the law and he knew what it commanded. We know that he was the word made flesh. So he understood the law better than anyone else. He didn't come to destroy the law. He come to fulfill the law. And Jesus, here he was not excusing, nor was he condoning sin, but he knew the truth concerning the command to honor And to keep the Sabbath day holy. The truth is this. We can never care more about honoring rituals than meeting the physical needs of others. That's the truth. You know, we all have our rituals. We all have our traditions. We all have our our things that, our customs, things that we're used to. But it should not take precedent over meeting someone's physical needs. The command from God was to remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. There is no burden in honoring this command. In 1 John 5 and 3, we're told that the commands of God are not burdensome. What became burdensome was the laws that man added to the law of God. The scribes listed 39 kinds of work that were prohibited. It would seem that when God gave the law, 
that God understood men had enough sense to know what constitutes work and what doesn't constitute work. What we have is a problem of men thinking that they were above everyone else and they could decide who what constituted work and what did not constitute work. They had men who decided they were going to regulate the Sabbath. And you know, we got men and women that sit in chairs, in buildings, up a few states up. And they think they know better than we know. Those, those knuckleheads don't even know the difference in a man and a woman. And, they, and we're electing them into office to, to regulate things for us. <sighs> 39, 39 laws on what was prohibited and what was not. And a third of these centered around reaping. The Pharisees interrupted, or the Pharisees interpreted, picking a few heads of grain as reaping. Oh, they sound like a lot of our politicians, don't they? These men here, they were not looking to reap a harvest to provide for their families. They were, not glean, they were, they were there to glean just enough to fill a hunger. And the commotion was made by the Pharisees after learning that this was happened. They said, Jesus, look, why do they do what is not lawful on the Sabbath? But Jesus came to their defense. Now, you know, Jesus, he reminds them, he goes back into a time that they would remember. Even though they weren't alive then, they've been told story after story about David. And they've read and they've, they've read the history of David. Uh, and so he carries them back to their greatest king. He had their attention when he mentioned David. And before David became king, he was on the run from King Saul. In 1 Samuel 21, 1 through 6, David and his men were fleeing from Saul but they were in need of food. They had gotten hungry. They'd went three days and hadn't eaten. And David came to Nob. And, and when he went to the priest, he asked for food. The priest told David the only thing that they had was, was the showbread. Well, the showbread was 12 loaves of bread. And they were baked fresh every Sabbath day. These 12 loaves were placed on a table in two stacks, six loaves in each stack in the holy place of the tabernacle. The 12 loaves represented the 12 tribes of Israel. They reminded Israel of the Lord's presence among his people and their dependence on God to meet their physical needs. It, also call, it was also called the bread of presence. The showbread was changed every Sabbath day. The old was eaten by the priest and no one else in the holy place. This bread was to only be eaten by the priest according to the law. But it was David and his men who ate the showbread on that day. What we see with what Jesus' disciples did, picking enough grain to curb their hunger on the Sabbath and what this illustration of David and his men eating the showbread is that there are times in our lives when the human needs are more important than legalistic keeping of the law. The religious leaders had regulated honoring the Sabbath and keeping it holy in a way to where it appeared that man was created for the Sabbath. But the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. Besides, Jesus declared the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. He was saying 
that the disciples was with the Lord of the Sabbath. And as long as they were with the Lord of the Sabbath, they were honoring him and keeping the day holy. So he was taking responsibility for what his disciples did on the Sabbath because they were with him just as he had done for you, just as he has done for me when he took our sins upon himself and took responsibility for our sins and nailed them to an old rugged cross. Yes, for us here at Reedy Branch, we have to ask what rituals do we, do we have that keeps us from meeting someone's physical need? It, do, do we have to know them? Do, we have, do they have to be part of our church family? Do they have to live in our community? I, I can answer that question, and that answer to that is no. We've helped many people who we don't know, many people who don't come to church here, many people who don't live in this community. But we do need to ask What about if we know someone's lifestyle is not like ours? Does that prevent us from meeting the need when they have a legitimate need? If we're going to be whom we declare we are loving, living, and sharing the gospel, we must love our neighbor as we love ourselves. Who's our neighbor? Anyone we come in contact with. Everyone is not going to live their lives the way we would like them to live them. Sinners are not going to live their lives pleasing to God. You didn't when you were out in sin. I didn't when I was out in sin. Sinners drink, many of them. Many sinners, they party hard. Some of them shack up. Some of them are homosexual. Some of them are bisexual. But if they have a legitimate physical need... We are to help. We are to help. Christ died for us when we were dead in the trespass of our sins. So how can we not have compassion on others when we've been recipients? Recipients of the compassion of Jesus Christ. Oh, can you imagine what it would be like if he had not have had compassion on you? I'm so glad he had compassion on me. Man, I'd be lost and on my way to hell. I'd probably already be there had he not have had compassion on me. I was down a dangerous road, but he loved me in spite of me. When I didn't care for me, he loved me. Oh, (laughs) yes, we can't never allow rituals. Well, we've never done that, preacher. Who cares what we've never done? Maybe we need to have been doing it a long time ago. Times are changing, some people would say. Well, we've got to think not about ourselves, but about our fellow man. We've got to think, what are we doing here? What are we here to do? Are we here to hoard up for ourselves? Are we here to reach the world for Jesus? Yes, we we must... Never let our rituals come before meeting the needs of, of others. Not their physical needs. But we also notice that we can never care more about honoring our rituals than meeting the spiritual needs of others as well. Jesus, they've reached the synagogue. He enters in 
And I, I don't know. I can't speak for how he feels. But I, I, I got a feeling he's, he's just disgusted. This conversation he's just had about these guys being hungry. And now he enters into, the, into this synagogue. And, and I, I would imagine he's just thinking, I can't believe these guys are worried about such stuff. He enters in and he notices a man with a withered hand. But he also notices what the Pharisees are doing. They're watching him. He's got their attention. They're watching him, trying to see what is next. (laughs) I'm glad people don't do that today. (laughs) I'm so glad we don't do that. You know, no one goes to church today to... Just to watch and see what happens. No one goes to church today to, to just see what they can leave gossiping about. That doesn't happen. We, we all, everyone goes to church wherever they go and, and they go to worship. They go to be discipled. They, they go to become equipped to evangelize and, and minister to others. They, they go to fellowship with other believers. Oh, boy, it would be nice, wouldn't it? <laughs> that would be nice. Here Jesus told the man with the withered hand to step forward. The word withered indicates here that the man's hand had been injured or it had been altered due to some disease. Uh, so, uh, so this would mean that the man could have been in a very desperate place. Here, not only was his hand withered, but this would no longer allow him to provide for his family. So he's reduced to being a beggar. Folks, we can't miss the significance of of Jesus telling the man to stand forward, step forward. The Greek interpretation would say, Jesus said to the man, rise up and stand up in the midst. Why would Jesus direct the man to stand in the midst of the people of the synagogue? I know that's on your minds. Well, perhaps it's because standing, by standing, the man would be acknowledging his need for help. And he would also be demonstrating his faith in Jesus Christ as his only help. <laughs> I don't know who it is today, but somebody needs to just stand up and respond to the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's drawing somebody right now. And all you need to do is acknowledge your need for help and trust that Jesus can and he will meet your need. If you call upon him, he will forgive you of your sin. He'll clean you up and he will make you what he would have you to be. You're trying to fix yourself. You can't do it. You can try from here until eternity. You will never fix yourself. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, during the process of him sanctifying you after salvation has come, you're going to make mistakes because you'll revert back to who you are. We've all done it. And you'll do it too. But he'll be there with an outstretched hand to pick you up. Because you're not walking on seeking sand when you're walking with him. You're walking on the solid rock. Yes, knowing the hearts of the Pharisees, Jesus knew what they were waiting to see. And if he would heal this man on the Sabbath, he knew they were going to make a big deal out of this. So Jesus asked them, he said, is it lawful? Is it lawful on the Sabbath to do good or evil? To save a life or kill? And the Pharisees said nothing. And it angered Jesus. He asked them a simple question. 
Simple question. Is it lawful to do good or evil? Is it lawful to save a life or to kill? I mean, it's not rocket science. I mean, we know the answer to that, don't we? To do good and to save a life. We would want to do that before we would want to destroy your life. And they said nothing. Their ritual meant more to them than this man. And it angered Jesus. Jesus was going to do good. He was going to save. He was going to restore the man. But the Pharisees were committing murder right there on the Sabbath. What do you mean, preacher? Well, Matthew 5, 21 through 22 says, you have heard it. You've heard that it was said to the, of them of old time that you shall not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in the danger of judgment. But I say to you, he, you that is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. In their heart, they were angry with Jesus because they saw what he was about to do. Jesus was grieved because they had no compassion for this man who was in trouble. They had a heart of stone and Jesus knew it and he was grieved over this. These men were the scholars of their day. These were the men who studied and given their lives to the scriptures. These were the men who were, who were responsible for keeping the integrity of the Jewish religion. And, and they were more concerned about rituals than they were about people. Well, let me ask, do you ever grieve over your actions? Whenever I look at people's circumstances and I want to judge instead of showing compassion, when I look at others and forget for a moment that if only by the, if it were not for the grace of God, it would be me. I find myself grieved by the hardness of my heart. If you think that your heart isn't hard, I want you to, I want you to take a good inventory of your life because we've all got hard hearts. Our hearts will deceive us. We'll find ourselves caring more about us and what's ours than we will about other people. Having received the grace and the mercy of God, we must ask, how is it that we can not extend grace and mercy to others? How can we receive the gospel of Jesus Christ and have our lives forever changed and not pay it forward to someone who's lost and in trouble, to someone who's hurting and desperate, to someone who's confused and struggling? We've been given the most precious gift, a gift that keeps on giving whenever we continue to give it away. Folks, we can't allow our customs, traditions, and preferences to get in the way of us winning souls for the kingdom of God. So it's all right if someone's in the pulpit from time to time without a tie on. As a matter of fact, if a tie makes people feel so uncomfortable that they don't feel like they're worthy of coming here, I'd rather never wear it. Because we're, our goal should be to win souls for the kingdom of God. And whatever my preference is doesn't matter as long as we don't compromise the word of God. What I prefer makes no difference. What makes a difference is are we winning souls for the kingdom? 
Jesus would not allow the rituals of the religious leaders to stop him from sharing the truth, from making those who were broken whole. He told the man, stretch out your hand. And the man was made whole. Bible says one hand was just as good as the other. Jesus restored the man to wholeness in front of their eyes. And they left with murder in their heart. They left wanting to destroy him. Whew. He saved the life and the religious leaders went away rejecting Jesus. Wanting to kill him. Folks, that can't be the church of God. That can't be who we are. They can't be Reedy Branch. That's got, we've got to be a people who love people because we love God. Every head bowed, every eye closed. As they're preparing to this song of invitation. I don't, I don't know, maybe... Just maybe with all the trouble that's going on in this world, maybe you sense you who are believers. You sense your heart growing a little cold. You sense that maybe you need help. This altar is open. It's open. You're welcome to come and just cry out to God. You don't have to be ashamed. We all need help. But maybe right where you're at, you're, you're just ready to just talk with him. Jesus told the man to stand up, step out, acknowledge who he is and his need. Maybe you find yourself growing cold and and now you want what breaks God's heart to break your heart. Oh, if that's what you want, he'll provide that. If you'll call out to him and ask him for it. Maybe somebody's here who doesn't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. On the cross of Calvary, he demonstrated that rituals and traditions would never get in the way of his love for you. No matter what religious organizations say, he loves you and nothing can separate you from his love. Even when you reject him, he loves you. So I would ask you, come now. Come now and receive Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Come and let him change your life. Because if you call out to him with a genuine heart, if here on this Lord's day, believing that he is the son of God, that he was born of a virgin, that he lived a sinless life. And for your sin, for my sin, for the sin of the world, he died on an old rugged cross to forgive us. But on the third day, he was raised up from the dead. And he is victorious right now, standing at the right hand of God. And he has sent his Holy Spirit to minister to us in our time of need. Right now, 
If you'll call out to him, if you believe this and you'll confess him as your Lord and Savior, if you'll call out to him, he will save you. He'll change your life. He'll be everything you've been looking for in this world. What you're looking for is not a thing. It's a person. It's the person of Jesus. Would you come?